With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek the adventure of the unknown. Join us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from hunting camps around the world. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride of fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Righto, here we are, just about to uh, see, watch Smitty lose his virginity. I'm not recording yet, mate, it's alright. That's alright, mate. Are you sneaking the videos? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? We're sitting in the lovely ranges of well, New England Rangers in New South Wales. Um, we're at Brad's, Murphy's, what do you call it? Building better bow hunters program. Yeah, no, we're we're a coach of Brad's coaching course, and um, yeah, we thought we'd do a bit of a Q and A with uh, with Smithy and whoever wants to jump in. So we've got the crew sitting around the fire that makes just about get going for us. No pressure. No, not yet. And um, now it's a bit warm still. So yeah, we just thought we'd uh, put the mic on on Smithy and I guess dive into a little bit what we've been learning today. Um, and um, we're just going to, we'll be a little bit of interference. We're going to pass the mic around. So, Morgs is pumped. He's going to start. Question. First up. First up. So. <laughs> I love it. Psst. I love you. <laughs> I guess I'm wondering, with all the bow hunting and guiding and, and time in the bush, what would be the first thing you see most guys make as a mistake or stuff up? Oh. Oh, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but it's just probably not prepared enough gear-wise. Hence what we're doing, what we're doing here. Like tuning. Yeah. Or ju not just not having the right setup for yeah, what they're trying like, to do. Yeah, probably just if if you can, like a base thing, get your bow and arrow set up, like spot on so you can get the best out of you and your gear, say your arrows are flying true. And like, I've seen plenty of blokes come to us, they've been shooting a bow for two or three years, and they, they're struggling to hit a six to eight inch group, and they, they still don't. Don't seem to get any better, if that makes sense. So they they don't know why. And then you come there and it's just the rest is just a little bit out. They're or they're too overdrawn. They're, they're collapsing at the shot. There's just a number of things, but most of the time it's just bow tune. And they don't when they say bow tune, they don't understand that the timing of cams. You know, when Matthew's coming out the solo cam, they didn't sort of or so call have to worry about it. It didn't matter as much, but. It still did because if they didn't have their rest set up right, they'll still they'll still be on the eight ball. Arrow still came out, kick, you know, sideways or up and down. And the problem we got there is if they don't hit that, if that arrow when it's travelling and straight in a straight line, if it hits that animal and it's travelling in a straight line, it continues on the same path. If it's wobbling all over the shop, in the air, hits the arrow, hits the animal with either knock high, knock down, left or right, where it enters and where you want it to exit it's going to be totally different to what you're what you're thinking so so putting the time into your gear knowing how it works and that it's all working right yeah it's a big mind thing mate you're all of a sudden you're in your head your, your confidence level goes like way up it's you're not wondering what's going to happen on this shot you know that if you can get into that distance and make the shot you know you know what's going to happen you know that you're pretty much 90 percent sure know what the outcome's going to be which I suppose comes back to most guys like myself struggle to get away. So the one thing you want to know is make sure your gear's right. And if, if you're lucky enough to get a chance, you want to sort of well, that's it, mate. Well, you're not make spending, most of you're it. You're not spending the fuel money, or you're not paying for a trip to go away, and you you're behind the eight ball straight away if your gear's not up to scratch. If that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Like what we're doing up there, Kyogre Adventures. Now we spent the first half a day to three quarters of a day making sure everyone's gear or making sure everyone and their gear, you know, they leave, when they leave going out for a hunt, they're, they're confident, you know what I mean? Big but, on the broadhead field point tuning, yeah, making just, sure in the past, right. and, and I've been guilty of it plenty of times, you're like, you just, the boys have been hunting for 10 years, 15 years, and you think, yeah, they'll know what they're doing, everything knows what they're doing, and then you get out there and then you see arrow flight or whatever, and that's why I'm so particular when at targets, if I can think I can improve, it's just that little, like five or 10% without affecting your confidence and I can make little small changes well I'll do it if I know it's a win-win situation for all 
the last thing I want to do at the start of a hunt is change 10 things on you. And a little bit of confidence does go a long way. Oh, a huge way. Well, the worst thing I can do is you come here and I change everything before you go out in the field and then you step up, the release aid's not normal, the, the draw length is wrong. It's, or it feels not wrong, but feels unnatural. You know, I don't want you thinking of six things out there. I want you leaving knowing that how, what we've done is in, has, it's improved your ability or it's out the ante, so what you're going to shoot at, you know, instead of it being a 50-50 chance, you're a 90-plus chance of putting that crude on the ground. And again, like if it gives you a better understanding of your gear and how it works, every future hunt or people you meet, you can sort of run through that and yeah. check things each time because, you know, shit changes. and you know, It does. So it changes time to time. It all sort of changes. So at least you can keep on top of your gear and how it's working. And Well, you know, like I said, when, when you change things, Morgan, like you do, well, you shoot a lot of arrows, you work on one thing at a time, mate. Yeah. And that's what I like doing. If, if someone comes to me and they're drawing here or they've got to work on their release because they're jumping on it a bit, I'm not going to change six things. I'm just going to work on that one factor. So that's all they've got to think about, get into distance, concentrate on their release, concentrate on maybe pulling through the shot. And that's it's only one thing in the head. Putting that pin where they need to put it and then execute that shot properly, you know. And we've done the groundwork. We're getting their arrows already flying straight now that they've spent a little bit of time with us. And we know that everything's going to be good. Everything's good, and then you can focus on the next step, getting close and yeah, and getting that opportunity. So. Yeah, we just work on that when we're out there. But you, you know, if you leave and your headspace is in the right, or if if when you leave camp and your head's in the right space, as in, yeah, do, you know, where's this arrow going to go? I don't want you. To yeah, you want to be confident in your gear and your shot. And if you know your arrows are shooting good, the back of your mind is it, it's just one less stress. It's you know something else you can focus on and. So, work towards. So, yeah. Thanks, Any, anyone else got a question? All right, who's going to um, put their hand up to maybe start with something that you didn't know this morning, but you know now? Don't be sure. Mike's coming to you. Yeah, lads, it was just basically like if you've been shooting for a little while and you've always shot with a trigger release, it's like how do you work on taking that next step towards a back tension or a thumb release or, or working with different releases. You know, we've been very fortunate here to have a bunch of different releases to try, but for people, if they're trying to move away from that and into something else, like what releases would you recommend to go to, to take that next step? Well, if you, like I said, if you've got a problem with, if I can see you've got a problem with a certain release and it's hard <laughs> to get it out of that muscle memory, that's when I'll step you into something else to sort of, try and make you understand how how to execute a shot properly or how a shot should feel. You know, 90% of the blokes that shoot a caliper release or a, like with their next finger, they don't pull through the shot. They're, they're struggling to even touch the trigger with their finger. It wavers around, they're worried about as soon as they touch it, it's going to go off. And the, the funny thing about that is if that pin's in the right spot and you actually touch it and it does go off, you're going to kill that critter anyway. So... But what I like, it most if 90% of the blokes that shoot that caliper shot a heavy, like something that took a bit of pressure to send it off, they'd understand what it felt like to wrap a finger around. They could feel for that trigger. You know, line the pin up, feel for that trigger in that second joint, roughly in that second joint, and then try and pull through to the, pull through the shot. And if I can make you feel like, or make you work on using that release properly, I wouldn't want you changing to a different release. The problem is most of the releases we get out there nowadays, they don't, you can't tension them heavy enough. There's only a certain amount of releases out there you can do it with. And the index finger releases that you can make into a resistance release, if 90% of the blokes use that from the word go, it'd be a whole different ball game out there. <laughs> yep. It would be. Like Carter done it years ago with a squeeze me. And um, Dudley's tried to do it now with a back strap. Which was the same was it was a backstrap years ago from Carter, and it was the same thing. You pulled it in, you actually squeezed the trigger, had it in, and you you released your index finger, and it went off. Then the squeeze me was the opposite. It was like a normal index finger release. Pull it back, you start squeezing in, and then that took the safety off once you got it squeezed in, and then you had to keep pulling through, and it go off under a certain resistance, poundage wise. Yeah. And like it, everyone I put on that release aid back in the day, it. Was, I went through a stage where, I, honestly, 
I told everyone if they bought that release and it didn't work, I'd buy it back off them. And out of twenty, out of twenty blokes, I bought one release back off. Yeah. And that bloke, yeah, I don't think it matter what I told him to do. He'd <laughs> do what he wanted to do anyway. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's been a great opportunity today to fire all the different releases and just yeah, actually get that shot sequence down and feel what it's like to get that surprise. Well, you going. understand what? Yeah. You it's understand? yeah, amazing. Like if you watch what a lot of these pros shoot 3D, there's a reason they shoot the releases they shoot. They're a lot more consistent with it, and it's just. They get used having that pin just sitting on the on the spot. That all depends on the diet, how you feel on the day, how tired you are. Some days you're steady as a rock, and other days you could be all over the shop. But if that pin floats across that target 80% of the time, and you know how to execute that shot and just keep pulling through the release, as long as you keep concentrating in that area, a lot of the times your your arrow ends up there anyway. Yeah. You know, it's sort of it, it's it's probably easier said than done. More mental. It is. It's more mental. And a big thing too with, honestly, a big thing too with holding steady is, you, is making sure you get the right, your draw length correct. You can be a quarter of an inch out, half an inch out, and that's the difference between holding steady or waving all over the shop. And it's surprising. Like Brad come up years ago and always, everyone told me I should be shooting a, a longer release, like a longer draw, sorry. And um, I thought, oh, yeah, whatever. But there wasn't many bows that, catered for a long draw back in the day. It was all 30. Nothing, nothing much went past the 30-inch draw. We used long, longer D-loops and all this sort of stuff. He comes up with a 31-inch draw or 31 and a half, a PSC. I pull it back and he just sat, and, and I probably shot it better than you, that bow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, did to, we, we did used to go hunting and if it was a fellow deer, you'd film, and if it was a red deer... Yeah, what it, film, and it was, we just took the one bow, didn't we? Yeah, because we could both shoot it just as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, at that time you shot that pig on me at, when we were chasing chittle. Yeah, yeah. Well, like it just it, it felt right, and then I, it sort of clicked with me, and then I realised how like how steady I was, and then once I up the draw length with my bows, I was just it wasn't an, as much of an effort anymore, if that makes sense. It was like yeah, and then I started realising realizing when I mucked around with most blokes that if I could. Sometimes you need to shorten. You just watch where they're, when they draw, draw back and if you're vertical, straight up and down, making a T if their elbow's up, elbow's way past it, they're leaning back. You can sort of tell if someone's overdrawn or underdrawn. And it makes, just half an inch can make a huge difference. You're good. That's a good one. You got another one. I guess what I've taken away from today, coming from um, the rifle hunting background, was not aiming with my sight pin. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, and that's the most thing I've been trying to work to, is just get it where I want to hit the target or the 3D on the animal. Yeah. And, um, yeah, for me, that's I've got to keep thinking that because I automatically go straight back to try and get in my pin where I want it, like with another rifle scope and the objective. Yeah. So that's really something that I picked up this weekend and... Hope to keep. Yeah, well, like you've still, still got to do it the same. We've still got to do it roughly the same. But yeah, you understand that it's sort of. It's all. It's more. You can let it float just that little bit more. Yeah, rather than a rifle, you hold it on there and that's where it stays. Yeah, yeah. that whole mind you're, thing. You're, yeah. you're not under pressure with a rifle. Yep. Right? You're either resting against something or leaning against something. You're not pulling. Pull you're not back. pulling any weight back. Mm. So it's sort of. It's along the same lines. Like you can be pretty accurate with a bow. A lot of blokes shoot really accurate at 100 yards now but it's still everything's got to be perfect you know what I mean and very rarely in a hunting situation is everything perfect correct you know it doesn't matter with a rubber target you can float and then you can just you can hope for the best in a hunting situation you, you can't do that you got to it's all about discipline and if it if it ain't perfect or if you ain't feeling it you're better off letting down then like I said we talked about yesterday about the highs and lows like if you're if you're a guide in a hunting camp you, it's not a constant. There's blokes are happy as Larry, or they're <laughs> they're dragging their bottom lip, yeah. you know. And then, you know, some blokes can get over it, some blokes can't. Or well, I shouldn't say blokes; some hunters can't. So you've just got to try and make sure, you know, everyone. If everyone's more disciplined, and understands their own ability, and everyone's got different ability. But if you understand what you can do, and you stick and you stick to that, and you're disciplined, well, the ratio of arrows released to what you and game on the ground is way up there. 
It's when you, you're not disciplined and you think, oh, I'm going to take it anyway. Oh, that was all I had. That, oh, that's as close as I could get. That's the only angle I had. You know, that's, they're all excuses for failure, really. If you wait for the right angle, you discipline yourself. You're not going to shoot anything unless it's so far. <clears throat> your ratio of arrows released to game on the ground, if, you gain, if your gear setup's fine and your release is good, is way out there. I mean, way out there. Who's next? I've got one for Murph. Bring it over here. Murph, just um, obviously today we've seen, like, full credit to all you is just watching it today. Like, from this morning, like, I guess everyone's sort of shooting this morning to what you were this afternoon. Like, there's a massive improvement. Like, obviously, building better bow hunters, Murph, like, What's your sort of number one sort of point takes? I've spoken a little bit about release and that, but you know, for someone that's picking up a bow, like we we probably did a fair bit of cam time today, um, like with Smithy and yourself. Um, you know, everything's fine, but you know, I know we, we tried a new bow there today, started from scratch. But what's your first? I guess you know, if we can go from five steps to help everyone out, just those things. If you, I know it's a little bit hard if you don't have a press or you're not bow bow mechanically minded, but what's five things we can look out for? Well, probably the, the first thing is, we said it today, like you, it's no good trying to tune a bow if you're not doing the same thing yourself. So having that, you know, shot sequence or whatever it is, just doing that repeatability um, where your shot's always the same. Because there's, there's so many people that will come up and they think their bow's out of tune, but it's actually them. You know, they're not gripping the bow right or their release is different all the time. Um, so that's probably, that's number one. And then number two is a lot of people don't sort of realise, as Smithy was saying, like they'll come up, hunting camp and they actually don't know that their um their gears out of whack like you know their broadheads aren't because they haven't actually had a look at it so iphones are great like i use it all the time you can get someone to film you from behind just with an iphone and you can slow-mo that arrow and see that sort of um you know what's happening and stuff um and that so that's really important to if you've got that you know if you can't pay for tune you can always use an iphone or a slow-mo or something like that to do that um then, yeah, from there, if you haven't got a, you know, a lot of things can be fixed with out of press and stuff, but yeah, a lot of things sort of need to be, I guess. But it's nearly sort of, that's your base in it, really. Yeah. Your bow, if your bow set up correctly with your in time yep. and tuned, yeah. when I say in time, that's your cams, tuned with your arrow rest, D loop, with you your, yeah, you sort of, you got that stable platform or base to work with, right? And then you work on your your form, yeah. consistency with your form after that. Well, the thing is, you'll always, if your form's good, you can shoot an untuned bow. Yeah, that's as right. Well, like the arrows will hit the same spot all the time. Hmm. Not a problem. The only thing probably hunting-wise is your arrows aren't going to come out, like you said before, they're going to come out skew if. They're not yeah. going to come out straight. So penetration and where the arrow ends up in the animal is going to yeah. be a little bit different. So as hunters, we want that to be, that arrow to go as straight as possible. Target shooters don't care. If their arrow comes out doing somersaults, it doesn't matter. Yeah, well... Uh, it'll always come out doing somersaults, the same somersault, and hit the same target all the time. Yeah, their target... Uh, what they're trying to hit is on the outside of the animal is on the surface of the animal. That's right. What we're trying to take out in the centre of that animal, like, is internal. And you're trying... To, sometimes you're trying to work out the path of, the animal, of your arrow, so it goes, enters the animal there, exits the animal there. And if your arrow's flying ass about face or kicking out up and down... It's not going to exit where you're hoping to exit. It might hit where you want, but it won't exit where you want if it's flying erratic in the air. And that's the same as a crosswind. And it's like what you were talking about when we did the um, the meat prep thing. Like, yeah. look at where your arrow. You want to when you're shooting an animal, you want to see you know where your arrow goes in, but you want to know where it's going to come out. And so you're looking. So if it's quarter of the way, you want to shoot a little bit further back so that when that arrow comes through, it comes out through the front of the shoulder. So you're getting both lungs. And it's the same thing. If your arrow is not going out straight, if it's going out on an angle, then it's going to go in a different direction. Yeah, you don't want to hit it. You don't want to hit it back behind back, the ribs. And then it, it comes in, out further yeah, back. Further back on, or it comes out behind the shoulder on the other side. You need it to come out. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. But like you said, you're right. If you don't, everyone can. If you're shooting field points, your arrows can fly erratic, and you'll still get a group. Then you chuck broadheads in the equation with a bigger surface area. Yep, makes a Big and it's difference. sort of like it, it throws a big spanner in the works. And that's a, probably the biggest thing that we struggle with, Matty, up north, eh? 
blokes come and talk, come up there. Oh, I can get my field points, everything's here, but their broadheads are hitting totally different. And it's either they're fletches that aren't not enough helical, not enough offset, or they're just yeah, it's the bow's not in tune, and nothing can nothing really lines up, you know. So I was going to say, so for people that are listening, like tune means your arrow's flying out straight. It's not coming out a little bit tail right or tail left or um, a little bit knock high or knock low. Like it's coming out dead straight. So the straighter the arrow goes, then if it's coming out dead straight, your field points and your broadheads will shoot and hit the same spot all the time. If it's coming out and it's a little bit tail left, then your broadhead's going to steer that arrow off to the right. So it's not going to hit impact the same spot. Yes. So to tune got, it up, we want got more surface area down the exactly. Front, catching, yeah. catching the breeze. So I always explain it to people: if you're driving along in the car, you wind down the window, you put your hand out. If you've got your hand nice and flat, it just cuts through the air. As soon as you start to tilt it, it'll just cut, take off, and that's what a broadhead does. So if it's not coming out dead straight, it'll tend to want to go off in that direction all the time. So, sorry, Brad. So just um, so with the broadheads, what? And with mechanical versus fixed, wouldn't then would a mechanical broadhead be a little bit more forgiveness? Yeah, way, a bit more way forgiveness more. with an untuned bow. Yeah, yeah. What? Way more. Yeah, that. No, you're, like you're right. Like your the, question. The, the question was: was a is a mechanical better than um, less susceptible to that um, more forgiving than what a, a fixed blade broadhead is? Oh yeah, well yeah, it, it is because it's got less surface area, and that's why. I don't know if that's why a lot of people over out of Australia shoot mechanicals. They invented they invented mechanicals for people that couldn't tune bows. Yeah, that's on, what it is. There, there's yeah, that, that has been said. It's yeah, true. That's not, that's not a secret. <laughs> so it probably would be good if you did go out for a few weeks to take some mechanicals just in case something's happened with your butt, like it's just yeah. starting not to fire. Yeah, it's fine. It, yeah, it could be like I said, if if you can get them to shoot the same as your fill points, that's fine. If then add long grass or thick cover into the equation and it, it totally changes totally changes everything because if you get any contact at all with the front of your arrow, one blade opens up, it'll totally change what <laughs> that arrow is going to do in the air before it hits that critter. Or if you pull it out of your quiver and one blade detaches, doesn't hold, you fire that shot, it's going to be erratic from the word go. Don't get me wrong. If you hit them in the right spot with a mechanical, they're going to do the. It's going to do the job every time. The cutting area and surface area of a mechanical, compared to like a modular or a fixed blade broadhead, like with a wider cut, yeah, they're going to cut way more if they can get if they can get the penetration. And that's the key. If they can get the penetration. So on on a perfect, like, good case scenario, you hit them perfect, and you don't need any heavy bone. And you've got enough weight in that arrow to punch it through that critter, yeah, they'll work fine. So I guess we'd like you to be able to tune your bow and have people shoot, shooting their bow, so you've got that choice. If you really wanted to shoot a mechanical, then you can. But if you want to shoot a fixed blade broadhead, then you can. And it's pretty easy to do. It's not that hard. So you know, you tune your bow, have the right fletching combination, which is actually you know, um, you know, enough helical and enough vein to actually steer that broadhead. Um, if we can tune that up and then you've got the choice, you can shoot whatever you want then. The biggest thing I've seen with mechanicals in the past with black shooting critters, like they have worked in that, was just as long as you use a decent weight arrow, your arrows fly it well. They'll hit that arrow, but a lot of the animals that they hit, the force that, the force that impact a mechanical puts on that, arrow, on that animal compared to what a two-blade does, like a two-blade, when it hits an animal, slips through an animal like way effortlessly compared to a mechanical, right? That animal doesn't run nowhere near as far as what a mechanical blade broadhead does. It's as though it, it hits more bone. That that animal knows it's hit, and it, it'll it run further. You think, oh, it's got a big wider cut in it, but it still travels 80 yards, 100 yards. Whereas a lot of times with a two-blader, you slip it through a critter, it runs 20, 30 yards and spins around. It knows something's happened. And it's wondering what the hell's going on. It turns to go to run away and then its head comes up. It loses consciousness, bang, she's out. But it's the same thing in two, again, two blade, if you hit bone, solid bone, going in or break that shoulder, that crit is gonna run 
like it'll run, it'll cover a fair, fair bit of distance if you haven't cut one of their main arteries as well. It might make a hundred yards, eighty yards, the same thing. So everything's got its pluses and yeah, cons and pros, you know. Good question, um, Nick. When you're when you're back, I'm going to give you the mic in a second. Yeah, because I've got a question for you. Yep, go for it, man. Um, the other thing you guys have been working on today as well as the uh, tuning of the bows, the timing, and you just mentioned the cam timing. So what does an arrow look like if the timing's out? Erratic. I guess the, the one thing I always explain to people, if your timing's out, basically it means your cams aren't rotating over at the same time. One will touch, one stop will touch the, the cable or whatever it is or the limb or whatever before the other one. So sometimes you'll pull back and you won't be at full draw, you'll be touching that first stop will be touching and the next time you might draw back and you might be drawing back both and both are hitting. The diff, the problem with that is most bows don't have a, a level knock travel. So as you're drawing back, the knock travel comes up and then comes back down. Okay, so if you're not, if you're back what you think is the wall, you might be half an inch short or a quarter of an inch short. If you draw back a little bit further, you get that extra quarter of an inch and your knock might be, or your, your D-loop position might be a little bit lower. So your arrow is actually on an angle shooting up or level. So it, it does make a big difference to height difference as well, um, as well as the, the feel of the back wall, um, the how uh, the let off, I guess, yeah. you know, well, um, that, the that valley, how the valley feels, all that sort of stuff. But that arrow comes out, that arrow leaves your bow not... Not straight. Not straight. It either leaves your bow knock high, you know, or knock low because the time the cams aren't rotating together, or they're not working in unison. If that makes sense, so it'll either it'll either throw that knock down into your shelf, or it'll come out knock high, and then depending on the broadhead you've got, it'll grab whatever airs in front of it and either push it down, push it up. You know, it's got, and that's where your fletching comes in to try and counteract that and straighten and control that arrow so you can be working against it as well like if you know i can't get my groups any tighter than this well it could be a tuning issue straight up if just a little little things like that you know what i mean we've seen it today straight away as soon as as soon as we've done it with a few of your bows today your arrow groups or the flighty arrow was just what you couldn't see that kick if that makes sense yeah we've got another one So just circling back to that sort of broadhead sort of chat, you've obviously seen a lot of things shot, a lot of arrows, a lot of different setups, guys come in, heavy bows, light bows, fast bows. Yep. As an average general rule, if someone was building an arrow to start, what is a, an average weighted arrow that you find most efficient to hunt with? Yeah, right. Is that 500 grains, 550 grains? That, honestly, no, that, that all depends on your poundage. Yeah. All right, so, like, if you if you want to look, yeah, and draw length, so, rule of thumb, right, IBO, all your bows is rated at their speeds, maximum speed and that, or if they shoot targets, the minimum weight arrow you can have is five grains per pound. You void warrant if you go less than that. You can't shoot targets to comply if you're less than that. So, let's say... Five grains is minimum weight, yeah? When I was growing up, 10 grains per pound is what you use to hunt big game, heavy game, all right? So most of the game we hunt in Australia, we call them medium, medium-sized game, you know, hogs and deer. Hogs are built different, like they're, like they're different anyway, mature boars, but just say that's medium game, so what? Let's, let's shoot something that's seven to eight grains per pound. To me, that's what I'd look at. And if you could stay with that, and the lower pen as you got, you, a cut on contact broadhead is a must to, for help with penetration. Yeah. So as, as a start, obviously everyone has their own preference, yeah. but as a starting point, if you're yep. shooting an average bow at 29 inches, yep. 70 pounds, you're yep. looking at 490, 500 grains yep. roughly. Yep. And, and tweaking around that with yep. what your arrow is Definitely. and your broadhead. The casting of arrow. Like, but ma making that work. Yep. As, as a starting point and sitting around that 500. No, definitely, mate. Definitely. And, the, you know, out of where, where I hunt up north and, like, where I hunt with, just say a deer camp, right? 50% of the blokes use three and four bladers. 50% use two bladers. 
right? And so to this day, the best blood trails I've seen been with two bladers. The quickest kills I've been I've seen have been with two bladers. So all that tells me is shot placement is key at the end of the day. So it doesn't matter if you shoot 40 pound or you shoot 80 pound. If you like, and we talked about this earlier, if you gut shoot something, you still gut shoot something. Yeah. With 40 or 80, it doesn't change, right? So. Corn boxes. Right in the corn box. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd rather see someone wind their poundies back a bit and shoot way more, like tighten their groups up because they can hold it easier, release easier. Yeah. You know. So it, that's your that's your starting point for an arrow, but it still always circles back to having confidence yep. in your gear, gear yeah, big, set up, big and having discipline. If you can't, if that shot's not on, the yep. shot's not on. And I still like, I'm, I'm still a big advocate. If you can shoot a cut on contact broadhead, like the amount of poundage it takes to penetrate hide with that compared to, say, like a lot of modular blade broadheads or whatever, it's you, you, some broadheads lose so much energy trying to get into an animal. It's, it's unbelievable. And if you can get into that animal, like especially with low poundage bows or Whatever. If you can't penetrate the hide or penetrate bone, you can't get the job done. So at the end of the day, you've got to really look at, you know, you can, yeah, find a big cutting area. I'm not going to argue. If you can punch a mechanical through a, a critter broadside, a two-inch mechanical, from rib cage to rib cage, compared to, say, a, like a single bevel or a single, like a two-blade of broadhead, that's only, say... A two-inch cut versus two-inch cut, isn't yeah. it? Or one half. What's going to cut more? Yeah, the two-inch cut. Like and that's right, in, in theory, but in practical, you've seen a lot of it. Yeah. And you've seen that the quickest kills and the best blood trails yep. have come from a well-placed shot on yep. a two-blade broadhead. Yep. Hands you know. down. Yeah. And the, the problem is, like, people... I see so many blood trails on YouTube, right? Yeah. And the and you get the... And the arrow comes out through the front of the chest where it cuts out jugular. And it doesn't matter what broadhead you use. Yeah. yeah, and because it can be a bit confusing. Like if you look up online, you know, you start getting American reviews where they're 20% FOC and all these arrows and telling you different stuff. But really, if you're starting out, you just want a starting point yeah. and something, you know, because it, it can be a bit of a rabbit hole if you don't know what oh, you're it is. doing. It's, and just, it's just extremes, mate. So depending on what poundage bow you got, if I'd say seven, eight grains per pound with a good cut-on-contact style broadhead, strong one. Yeah. And... Around that 500 grains with a nice razor sharp broadhead. If you if you're at, 70 pounds, at that at bow, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're 40 pounds and you shoot, if you're 40 pounds, and you're shooting like get that seven to eight grain times that by 40, you know what I mean? And then that's that's what you want to shoot, but you want to shoot a cut on contact style broadhead. Yep. This might seem pretty bloody simple, but obviously you can't hunt what you can't see or find. Now pins and binos are a bit like bum holes. Everyone's got one. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in hunting camp and was lucky enough to be able to have a look through a set of the new Zeiss SF 10x42s. Look, I'm going to be really honest with you. I've been a Suara fan for many years now, but I really like what the Zeiss offers in the lens quality and other features, which I'll discuss in an upcoming episode. So after Christmas, I think an order is coming Zeiss's way from the Secret Hunting Fund account. So look, I know there's a lot of choice out there when it comes to binos, but there really is only a couple of contenders when it comes to the top level. I'm not going to say that it's going to suit everyone's budget or needs, but as they say, buy once, cry once, and don't tell the wife or the hubby. Please, I understand that it doesn't suit everybody, but if you're looking for the top end or just simply want the best, do yourself a huge favour. Jump onto osaustralia.com.au and find your local Zeiss stockist and check out the SF range of binos. You're not going to be disappointed. Smithy, can you explain to us um, obviously, talking about Kuigam, Maddie's here as well, but explain us what the bleeders have done. You know, we, we're talking two bleeders, but, you know, you've seen some pretty crazy shit with the, yeah, the bleeders. Yeah, well, bleeders in the past, right? When me and Mick started shooting bows years ago, we tried putting bleeders on. Zwicky's come out with bleeders that were the same thickness of the steel that they were made out of, or one. Yeah, I'm referencing layers, the pilot right? cutter here too, for anyone. So. Yeah. yeah, but they used to we used to find they used to wedge up. Okay. They used to wedge up on on bone a fair bit. And then we used to shoot other stuff like bear and piercings where they had the finer bleeders that come in and they used to break, which is, I suppose what they might've been designed to if they hit heavy bone. All right. Now, now but they're all double bevel broadheads back then. 
Nowadays we're shooting single bevel broadheads like the Pilot Cup. It comes out with a, a bleeder and I was thinking, oh, well, I thought, well, I'm just gonna, next 12 months I'm gonna shoot it and see if I can find, notice any difference in pano from A to B. And I don't think I've noticed too much difference at all. Like not, not enough to even like think, oh, that's, that's why that pulled up. The benefit with a, a single bevel going through solid bone is that it just doesn't knock a hole in it, it splits that bone or it, it blows a hole in it. And those bleeders don't have to contact as much bone to sort of penetrate. It's the, the single bevel's done the job for it. All it does is cut more tissue. So, well, there's no... There's a whole difference between a single, like a two blade and a three blade or a four blade is rather than that, you get that sort of thing, mate. Yeah. As it, yeah. So those bleeders just give you that where it can't seal up. Yeah. Busy. And a single bevel does that too. Yeah. Single bevel is not a nice, simple cut that closes back up. It's like a loose cut that doesn't, it that doesn't mesh back together. And if you've got a decent helical, that that two blade is still going to be rotating oh, and, and yeah. causing a lot it's of internal damage. It's not going to do damage. a corkscrew effect going through a critter. It's going to do that 180, or like you know, or a bit less, or a bit more, depending on what it hits, how much resistance it gets to push against those opposing blades to spin it. You know, but there is benefit. There's ben pros and cons with everything. The, pro the cons with a single bevel is the edge retention. You'll chip the blades a little bit more than what you will with a double bevel, all right? They take a little bit more sharpening, but after using them for the last three or four years, or no, probably longer, six years mm. or longer. Yeah. Hey. I know. All the 16, ones 2012, 2014. Yeah, it's just, it's hard for me to go back because, you know, we shoot a lot, I see a lot of animals get shot. I shot a lot of animals in the meantime. The benefits of that, what I've seen, it's, yeah, it's right up there. You know? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, it was just, you know, we, we've made a few, we, we've seen a broader that came out. We made a few, we tried to make something a little bit better, what we thought was a bit more robust and, you know. Succeeded. It, yeah, it, it's pretty special. Hmm. I think the other thing too, to jump onto that, you're right. Um, you, you've mentioned about YouTube and the FOC and all this testing and shit, especially with the states and, and no disrespect to them, but because they obviously make awesome gear, is they don't see the amount of shit die that we see here, or especially between a couple of people here. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like, you'll see shit go wrong because you see, yeah, out of 100 animals die, you're going to see something not work. Yeah. You know, when they're doing a lot of their testing over there, like, they might get one shot or two shots, three shots a year at a, you know, elk and a bear and whatever they're shooting over there. If you shoot them three things perfectly, well, you're obviously going to say there's that that's the perfect setup. As so, I think you know that's you know credit to the testing what gets done here is that you are trying to fix those. Sometimes these little things aren't important. Like if there if there's rotation, things are going to snap. Like that happens. Like that you can't get away from that. Um, but I think that's one thing is that yeah. There's good info out there, but I think the people that are using it and putting it to the test over and over again, maybe, you know, how many animals you guys see? Well, that's it. like I said, if we see, me and Matty see over 200 animals, like we, I there see 200 animals get shot a year. Yep. He does the same or plus. Yep. And you soon work out what works and what doesn't. Yep. And I think that's probably the biggest one that, you know, that's always my takeaway. Even when I catch up with you boys in camp, whatever, it's like you sort of go back to the drawing board. It's like, yeah, you can't really argue with them buckets. Like, <laughs> it just is what it is. Like, numbers, it's just, numbers. You can't argue, you can't numbers, argue numbers. It is what it is. And, yeah. And, um, yeah. And I think Morgan said before, like, you know, you have your what you feel comfortable with. You know, we all shoot different brand bows and uh, different brand boots or whatever it is. And I think at the end of the day, it's what you feel comfortable with. But I think there's some, there's definitely some numbers that we can rely upon. And I just want to, like, I sort of know the answers to a question here that I'm going to ask and whatnot, but probably the listeners don't and, and whatnot. But like, That'd what be was right. You... Ask your own fucking question that you got the answer for. <laughs> no, because right? I, I know. But like, what, like, what's your background in bow hunting, and how long have you been doing it to actually see these results? Oh, you asking me? Oh yeah. <laughs> like you know, like you're, you're saying we see two hundred animals a year get shot or whatnot. But like back in the days when you started in, I don't know the. Yeah. I don't 50s, know when you started. But... <laughs> back, in the, back in the 30s. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, like to, to come up to the with these conclusions of like what you reckon, it what you see and how many animal critters well, you've seen and how many critters you've shot. 
Yeah. Like. <laughs> He's been suspended a week. Yeah. Yeah. I've just opened up a can of worms. I know. But. I love like, it. But like. No. We know, like sitting, yeah. sitting here, close community sort well, it of depends, tea. Right? We know, like, but... like, yeah, well, yeah. So I've been been shooting a bow for thirty plus, I reckon, and um, so it, it's various. I don't shoot nowhere near as many animals nowadays as what I do, what I did back then. And it, we sort of learnt the hard way. And I, I, I changed, I changed where I aimed on critters back, like pretty early in the piece. Like, when Mick, we used to go out and shoot. We used to go and shoot targets and that. And then you try and shoot the same animals the same way as you shot the targets where the score zones were. And like I was poor as piss. Like I, I had to dig, I dug broiders out of everything because, you know, I used to live on 10 or 20 bucks a week after I paid off my debt. And I'd say, you know, a good week was 20 bucks. So yeah, you soon realise, I'm thinking, oh, no wonder these things that critters are running, you know, we're just hitting them back a little bit behind the crease and halfway up. And then as soon as we move, yeah, as soon as, as soon as I started working out that the ticker was sitting low between the shoulders, lungs is a little bit higher and nailing shit through there and trying to get a lot of other blokes to follow suit, you know, it, shit started hitting the deck way more regularly. And the same thing was, mate, and that's why like that, that nice, like a, I wouldn't say heavy arrow, but it's just good medium weight stiff arrow with a good cut on contact two blade broadhead, like especially shooting bores. You've got to shoot through mud, fighting pad, ribs to get into the lungs. It just, shit died way more regularly. And when I say regularly, it died a lot quicker. You know, if you shoot something through, you know, through the shoulders, a third of the way up, nine times out of 10, you're gonna see that thing fall over. You know, if it's thick cover or you shoot it near the edge of the hill, it might disappear over the lip, but you, you're not gonna to have to look far. Eh? It, it's gonna be there. But if you hit it back behind the shoulders, Halfway up, well, depending if that leg's back, forward, if it's breathing in, out, it's going to all vary how far that crit is going to go and, and what vitals you've hit, you know. That doesn't really vary. And the biggest thing, what I know nowadays is after I open up hundreds of deer, hundreds of hogs, or the vitals aren't too much difference between, between the two. You know, you go to Africa and they stay away, everything's more further forward, well, it's not way further forward. The shoulder's still in the right place. The heart still sits in the, just above the brisket, behind the shoulders. Look, I want to say behind the shoulders, between the shoulders. Behind, the, if you're shooting side on, it's sitting. You've got to shoot through the shoulder to hit the ticker, you know, if the legs are together. So it's, I don't know. It's, That's, I think, the difference between you and a lot of other blokes is you've actually dissected most of the stuff that you've shot or other people oh, shot. Yeah, everything. And, you know, and to show them as well as... Everything, so, yes. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. I very rarely shoot an animal, and I don't look. Like, I used, well, back in the day when I used to take most of the stuff, or not, I wouldn't say most of the stuff, but I used to take a lot of stuff back then because it, for dog food for boys in town, and it's just, you know, I should have ate a lot more stuff I shot back then than what I did, you know. But I didn't know, you know. Everyone told us it was, this was rank and this this and that. You couldn't eat it here and there. We we just didn't know any different, you know. But even then, like most people, will take stuff but they won't actually open up the chest cavity to have a look at where that arrow is No, they won't. And, you know, obviously, you know, you were yeah. pretty well, piss poor and you were just looking for your broad end. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you start doing it, but you still do it. Like, I see it now. Yeah. You go up the caper shit and you, oh, you every, cut every, every animal, you open yeah. it up and show the person that you're guiding where the arrow's gone and what it's done. Yeah. Well, not, it'll be the same, but you'd have to know, Matty, since you started doing that, when you shoot critters now, how many critters do you take the top off that ticker? How many? A lot. And Not because you understand where shit lays. 75, 80%. And, how, say, far, yeah. and how many critters do you see fall over? Uh, a few. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But that, they don't disappear. They don't, run that, they don't run that 80 yards anymore or 100 yards. 30 yards, 50 no, yards, it, they fall over. Yeah. And then I reckon for the hunter as well, like to actually see, we can show shot placement, we can show pictures, we can show everything, but actually getting a critter on the ground and splitting it open and actually go folding that leg back and going, that's where the ticker sits, and then pull the leg over and go, and they oh, wow. And then the percentage ratio after you do that for the rest of the hunt is, oh, it's, it skyrockets yeah. there. Oh, yeah, I can understand it. Like, it's just like you flicked on a switch, really. Yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah, generator bang. turned on. Yeah. 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 So, what was the question? 
<laughs> you can't, you can't answer it. You rabbit hole, well. Yeah, you know, yeah. After your parents invented the wheel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my son, has anyone else got any from today, like as far as biomechanics on a flip? Because you're probably all wanting to get out and kill shit over the next few weeks. So. I'm just going to throw someone in the deep end here. Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, here you go. Oh. Yeah, wait. Yeah. No, go for it. Don't be sure. Yeah. Ask a question. Can be bow related or hunting related. Can be anything. So, so you know how I asked you yesterday, anything you want to find out from this weekend? Have we ticked all boxes? Have we? Is there any questions left um, unanswered yet? I guess it would be just uh, like having the most consistent. Oh, hang on. Can we have your name? Sex location. Yeah. No, you're okay. Go. Length. <laughs> Length. Yeah. Lavity Constructions. Go give it a follow on Instagram. <laughs> Love it. Um, no, nah, just having the most oh, consistent shot sequence in the field. Yeah. But I think. At the end of the day, mate, that'll all come back what we talked about a bit earlier. Like, yeah, get a shot sequence happening like Brad was talking about up there, but stay disciplined. Like, wait for those right angles. Shoot at certain distances. If you put that in the field when you're hunting, that's a big thing I could say to you, like as in. Yeah, go through your shots so you can make sure that's all right, but only do it when the right angle's there or you're within your effective range, if that makes sense. If you keep that to a minimum and you can walk away from a critter, you don't have to shoot it. You think you want to shoot it, but if you can walk away, like I hold you, I hold you away up there, you know? There's that many blokes I go out hunting with nowadays. You see them draw back. They think, fuck, it's nearly there. Oh, it took a step. Next minute they let down. It's so good to see. Because they actually get it, you know what I mean? But you always feel... You feel bad if you don't get a shot of something that's, you know, 20 yards away, whatever it is. Well, you, but you, you feel a hell of a lot worse if you've uh, taken a shot that's a bad shot yeah. and you've hit it in the ass. Yeah. Well, I think, I think if you're shooting a bow, like, if you're shooting a bow and expecting to shoot something and take home meat for the table every time you go out, honestly. <laughs> Your wife's not going to like don't hunt, don't, uh, don't hunt deer and don't shoot a bow. You know what I mean? But if, if you're happy to get, honestly, half the time for me, I shot a bow. I started shooting a bow because I, I enjoyed getting close to a critter. I like, I like the challenge of stalking, and that's why I wanted to start shooting a bow. And then once I did it, I could not stop. And to me, to this day, I still, it's all about getting close to me. Like, these boys, a lot of the blokes I shoot with, they can shoot really good 70, 80 yards, but they keep most of their shit to 30, you know? Because they, they know if they do that, yeah, shit's real. 90% of the shit of what they shoot at, the miss, missing does not come into it, you know? We don't, we don't travel thousands of k's to miss something. We don't practice to miss something. Or I don't anyway. I practice to... Put that arrow where it needs to be, you know what I mean? And if I can't do it, like... It's like you were talking about before, percentages. Oh. You know if you can get into under 30 yards, your percentage of actually killing that animal skyrockets as opposed to well, being back at 40 or 50. Well, it does. And it's like percentages up where I, where I hunt, right? And I'll, I'll put this in perspective and it's like it'll probably shock a few people, but if... Everything that's shot under 25 yards, if, if you aim right, put it this way, and if you've got to aim right, when I say aim right, if you aim at the ticker, that bottom third through the shoulders of an animal, if you aim there and you keep shit under 25 yards, and you aim at the ticker and you execute the shot properly, my stats is not, you're up in 90%, right? Once things 30 yards or 35 yards out to, say, 50 yards, it's, it, it drops back to about 70%. Once it's 50 to 60 yards or 50 plus, it, drop back, it drops back to nearly 50%. And these are critters that people think they don't jump the string once you shoot past 35 or 50. Well, I don't know. They don't. They hear the arrow. Well, <laughs> it's a combination of both, I reckon. And it might be, if, if anything's alert at you and looking at you and it's past 20 yards, if you're not aiming at the ticker, Honestly, I, I, I don't know how you're going to kill that critter. If it's, especially if it's switched on. You know, hogs, 80% of hogs jump the string if you watch the videos. And like, that's, that's one, the one thing that I always say to people, like, you know, I'll pump up your tyres a bit here, because yeah. I always say to people, you, the most knowledgeable bow hunter in the world, especially at the least world. Australia, 
because but it's not only it's not because of the stuff that you've shot personally, but because you've guided and filmed so much. So, what? How much film would you have <laughs> of people that have shot stuff? So, you know, like you you've seen it, you've guided it, you've filmed it, and it's a big thing. Like I could guide someone, and oh, there's a deer, and you know, someone shoots it, and we. Both two of us look at it and we think, oh yeah, you know, that was a good shot and stuff. But to actually have it on film and then be able to come back later on and watch it on TV, slow it down, zoom it in, all that sort of stuff, you see that animal um the reaction. The reaction, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's just twitched its ear. It stopped wagging its tail, sort of thing. You know, it knows something's going on. It still looks like it's feeding and stuff, but it knows something's going on. Hmm. You know? You don't just learn that from, well, you do learn that from seeing it, but you learn that from being able to play back all that video and oh, no. seeing that, it's, seeing what happens to that over, you know, yeah, it's thousands helped. of hours of stuff. It's definitely you know? helped. Like, I don't know, you've seen how much I've got. I've made it help me move there a while ago. And... Three trucks and a... <laughs> no, there's, there's a few eskies full of tapes and cards and shit. Yeah, and that's the stuff you've kept. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's the same. Like, it's just... People don't understand. I. Well, that's what I like. I, I'm so adamant when I talk to blakes, like, as in, if that's what I'm saying, like, if, if shit's looking at you past 25, you know, and you expect to hit it where you're aiming, especially if it's, we're talking deer or hogs, yeah, you've got another thing coming. And then it's your aim. People have got to learn where to aim. Most people aim halfway up behind the shoulder, right? Yeah. If they're aiming halfway up behind the shoulder and something's looking at you, you ain't going to hit them there. It's well under that arrow by the time. Oh, you ain't going to hit them there. But if you change it a little bit and just aim a little bit lower and a little bit further forward, it, it, it changes the whole game. Yeah. Even on stuff that I'd rather shoot it, I'd, <laughs> I don't like shooting at anything that knows I'm there, realistically. Unless if it knows I'm there and it's 15 yards, it's still in trouble because you're still aiming at the ticker. Yeah. But anything, if you're aiming, I can tell you now, if you aim at the ticker, and you use the gear that I'm, I've asked you to use with that cut on contact style broadhead, a good medium weight arrow, seven to eight grams, eight grains per pound, like your success of what you're shooting is going to go. Yeah. Wow. Again, that percentage that you're talking yeah. about, you know. Yeah. It's a percentage to ratio. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks. So, look, the course so far has been fantastic. Um, you guys have really put on a good show. Oh, thanks, mate. Welcome, welcome. But, oi, oi, yeah. there's, a big, there's a big butt coming. <laughs> but what I would like to say, no, no, no. Um, <clears throat> best thing for me so far is like, because I'm self-taught, yep. really just YouTube talk, yep. thanks to the pandemic and everything else. But the best thing, apart from advice, is the stuff that you guys have been talking about has really filled in the gaps from what I've watched on and self-taught off YouTube, you know, it's really consolidated some stuff and sort of demystified some stuff and also made me think, oh, actually, that was crap. Confused the fuck out of you yeah. a little bit, yeah. Because it's hard when you're looking at YouTube channels and education, you sort of almost get caught up in the, um, like they're all pushing a specific brand or a specific, for a specific reason, right, for marketing and that. Um, and no, that's not why I bought my PAC, but... Um, <laughs> I think when you're doing it tough, you always you doubt yourself a little bit. You second question your decisions, and it's hard. Like if it's open country, like I said, I was telling you about today. I was talking. Oh, you didn't go up the hill with us this morning, but I, I, I like hunting a lot of travel routes or a lot of where game's walking through. And I like if I've got to pull up, I'll try and pull up in those areas. So if I do have a break or whatever, <laughs> it's a lot easier if game's walking to me than me trying to make 50 or 100 yards to certain animals that are switched on, right? So depending on the conditions, yeah, you'll always second guess yourself. That's part of the game, all right? But you got once you know, like I said, it's, it's a percentage thing too. If you know they're going to come in here and feed, or if you know they travel through this area, and us as Australian hunters, we're, we struggle a little bit, or not, we don't struggle. I think we're all... We're all at, at, at I, I make the mistake, and a lot of other Australian hunters, we find a really good spot, 
we see nothing there. The sign's there, everything's there, there's nothing there, and instead of staying there, we decide to, they might be over that ridge, they might be around the next bend, you know. And you take into effect of the time of day, right? So if it's if it's late over or early morning, shit's gonna move. Yep. If it's middle of the day, nothing's happening. And it's if it's in the rut, stay there. If it's, the sign's there, stay there. If it's not in the rut and you're not seeing shit and it's the middle of the day, either camp up and start hunting again in the Arvo, go back to where you found, find the sign, or go back to camp. You know, the problem is with going back and forth from camp is the amount of scent you put on the ground. Yeah, right. So, so do you go into these situations, like when you go on your, your hunts, yeah. do you... Um do you go in with a, like a like a couple of backup plans? So you, instead yeah, you of just going, oi. I'm going to go and look for fellow. It's like, nah. all right, if I get up in this ridge, yep, I'll give it an hour. If plan, that fails, I'm going to move down here. Plan A, B, C, all the way down to LMNOP. And then all start, right, and then start it again. Yeah, yep. in reverse Always. order. Yeah. One of the things that I found uh, early on was there's a big difference between seeing deer and having an actual a chance at shooting them. So where we used to hunt was a bit a lot thicker than than this, and I could you could walk through heaps of area and you'd see deer, but they're all running away from you. You know, you've never had a chance at, at actually shooting them. So you sort of learn. Well, I'm going to go out. And I'm going to have a day. I'm going to just going to sit here and I'm just going to wait. You know, it's a good area. I've scoped it out before. The deer have been here before. I know they're going to come, but they might not just turn up today. But if they come. I've got a much better chance of getting a shot at them because I'm either on a travel route or feed area or wherever it is, but I'm going to have a better shot at, at actually getting a, a shot or a stalk on them rather than just walking blindly through and, and scaring them. Play the percentages, yeah. mate. And, and you, you'll have bad days, mm. you know? Yeah. Like, we all get it wrong, mate. You're king of fuck-ups right here. Yeah. Like, plenty, I second-guess myself all the time, and especially when we're doing... We're doing stuff, you know what I mean? Like, oh, when I say we're doing, like if I've got blokes out there in the field, if I'm guiding blokes, I feel under more pressure because I expect a little bit more. But, and then you've got to back yourself a bit because you know what the deer are doing. Yeah. You know these blokes in it. And you might find some blokes are a little bit antsy. They can't sit still. So you want to try and make them happy. So you try and keep them moving. Yeah? And you know it's not the best thing. And that's where, I, that's a bit, my biggest struggle is actually trying to talk them into saying, well, listen, we just need to slow shit down. Yeah. Sit here, wait a bit. Because we're not big on using stands over here. Yeah. We've got, we got plenty of country we can hunt. It's not just a 10 acre block, 20 acre block. It's like hundreds of acres or thousands of acres so we can cover the ground. And like I said, our biggest fault or my biggest fault is finding the right area, the perfect area. Seeing nothing there and thinking, oh, well, I'll just, um, might just go around the next bend over the fucking next rise. I'll go and have a look over there for them. Yeah. And, just you got the biggest thing is to take in consideration the time of day, what season it is, and when I say what season, if it's deer season, and you're on a good travel route, you're on a good there's scrapes, rub lines, game trails. If you're during the middle of the rut and you're seeing nothing, but it's it's saying signs everywhere, just get yourself in a good position where you have got a little bit of cover and stay put during the middle of the day. Shit's gonna move through there. Yeah, I think my biggest moment, like moments of truth, is when I've gone out and like I've just started to go out by myself. Yeah. And it's funny because you know if I can go out with a mate, my mate could be dumb as fuck. Yeah. But I still feel more confident in my decisions. Yep. And then when I've started to go out by myself, um, just those little doubts in my mind, are big doubts, you know, yeah. you. If the sign, if the signs there. Like the voices in your head are a lot louder. If you got you sign know. in the way of shit. Stuff being picked out, chewed out, grass getting flat tops. You can see scrapes, rubs. Just all I can say is slow down and glass heaps more. Like just and be, yeah, be more patient. Like you know you're in the right area, and just slow down and glass heaps more. The biggest thing I see is boys walk too quick. They put too much shit up. Once you put a deer up or a boar up in a creek, it's like you're not going to see that for another three or four hundred yards before. And it might take them half an hour or an hour, two hours to settle back down. Yeah. You know? And it just, just ease up a bit. Just enjoy what's there and just take it slower. And, and glass. Like, 
I can't. Even putting up ruse and stuff. Like yeah. you walk through, you put up ruse, which then you might not even see the deer because you've put the ruse up, which have put the deer off and, you know, that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, well, we talked about that earlier this morning. Like birds, birds are the biggest thing. You don't realise how many birds you upset. Those birds are telling everything else in that area that there's something not right. Yeah, right. All right, so start paying attention to that, those little things. And it mightn't be those noisy miners or, or like the possible birds, cockies, that, yeah, that just screech and carry on. It might be them little birds chirping, like just them little ones that whistles or they carry on. It might only carry 50, 60 yards, but that's the way they're carrying on is just upsetting everything else in the, you know, in the vicinity. Well, not upsetting them, but it's alerting everything else in the vicinity. Sorry, the, we got the, the boys are seeing deer and they're all getting excited. Well, um, more binoculars up than. I think you've you've probably moved us into a pretty good conversation, actually. So this will come out um, first week of March. So we're obviously going into deer season. Um, I guess a lot of today's conversations have been around the deer rut and what's upcoming and all that kind of stuff. So I guess, and that's probably why I was going to get Mick to grab the mic um, if he wants to, but. Right, our legends, thank you for listening to another episode of the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Now, I want you to do us a massive favour. Each episode, if you think it's worthy, send it to a mate, maybe a non-hunter, and let's get them amongst the life and the passion that we as hunters enjoy so much. As always, if you'd like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on any of our social media accounts, whether it be on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another episode, and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp. Hooroo for now.